Hello and welcome to the 401st episode of the Great and Crowbar, a podcast about gaming. It's uh, on the night that we're recording this. It's a muggy, it's a muggy uh, July 14th kind of a night uh, uh, on the night that we're recording this. Uh, I'm Alex Wiltshire and tonight I'm joined by Jamie Britton. Hello. Hello, Jamie. Hello. <laughs> it is. Is it muggy with you here in Bath? It's muggy. Yeah, it it's it's muggy. It's muggyish. I'd say. Yeah, it's it's on the <laughs> it's on the spectrum of muggy. Definitely. <laughs> it doesn't help that I've had to close the window uh, because it, we live on a quiet street. But it does mean that when anyone walks past, uh, they make a hullabaloo, which I don't want to treat uh, you, the listeners, and you, the you know, you. Jamie too. It's just you know, it's they can be awfully coarse. Yeah, there's a there's a, a big guy who lives over our back gate who does some violent and urgent things to vintage motorbikes, and <laughs> usually he doesn't do it in the evening. So hopefully we won't be disturbed by him. <laughs> He's called Andy. He's lovely. <laughs> urgent things to motorbikes. I, <laughs> are there many motorbikes out there and they're in various states of disarray or uh, or does he focus his urgency on one <laughs> he's got several large terrifying sheds which dominate the landscape uh, from which he runs his uh, bike restoring uh, business um so yeah it's it's all done undercover but i've been in there and i've seen the bikes so i was i was reassured by that <laughs> They, they what you were sure that they were bikes that there were many bikes there was a yeah, business was, involved well yeah i guess i was you know before that i was slightly worried that there was a sort of tech texas chainsaw massacre type vibe of that could place be that couldn't it he could be <laughs> he could be running a gang absolutely he could have but he's not he's just restoring motorbikes he used to work for british aerospace so <laughs> it's, it's all good <laughs> hey so um um, I was, um, I forgot to mention this before to you, Jamie, because usually listeners, we, um, we tend to kind of just mention to each other to, uh, just to prepare, uh, each other's minds what we we're going to talk about. But, um, I wanted to, uh, just bring up the news yesterday that, um, uh, GameStop, GameStop is a bit of a mystery to me, really. I've, I know it, its name. I always have done, uh, as this behemoth of a game shop chain in, in uh, north america uh which we don't have here in the uk but um obviously GameStop went through uh the weird the mad bubble uh, uh last year in which um uh reddit basically tried to buy up all its shares and um it went sort of gangbusters this this fundamentally failing chain uh of you know of physical game shops uh was sort of weirdly saved and yet was it um uh, but that seems to have prompted and 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 come into fruition with a, a general sort of move towards digital, which came, uh, which they announced yesterday, in that they launched their NFT marketplace just as the market completely collapses <laughs> for N- NFTs, uh, with with uh, how many was it? It's quite a lot of uh, so it's fifty three thousand NFTs. In across 246 collections, um, with the most expensive going up above uh, $10,000. And it just, it's just extraordinary. Oh, then actually one of them is for $455,000. And that's of a, that's of a picture, uh, of an alien playing an arcade machine. <laughs> Ridiculous. So having been saved by a kind of parody of capitalism. <laughs> 
into a kind of stasis level. They thought, let's double down on that and get even more freaky. It really is. It really very much. Oh, that is, that is, you've nailed it. It, uh, it's, it just really does beg a belief. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I can see, I can see the pull and I can imagine how easy it would have been to, um, to argue the case as, as kind of NFTs exploded, you know, um, a few months ago. But you could just see the writing on the wall for the whole thing. But what I wondered also is like 53,000 NFTs, like, like, how do you convince anyone that any of them are worth buying? Like, they're all like going to be bits of art. Like, how, like, all of this, you know, the NFT thing is about sort of creating a sense of value out of scarcity, out of, you know, I don't think the, the 53,000. Is, is scarce means scarce. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like, how will we add value to our company? Let's produce a really vast amount of imaginary products. Because <laughs> <laughs> that always helps things increase in value generally. Yeah. Um, very strange. I mean, they should have just done what Michael Owen did with his NFTs, where he just said on Twitter, um, my NFTs are the only ones that won't actually decrease in value. So. Oh, that's good. I really trust that. <laughs> I, I'd so, buy that. Yeah, I guess some Michael Owen NFTs. Are they are they pictures of him? I actually didn't look what they were. I presume there's something to do with that goal against Argentina. Oh my um, goodness! Well, do you sort yeah. of get the trajectory? What is it? Some yeah, maybe you get the numbers. trajectory. <laughs> yeah, get the numbers. That'd be good. You get like a quarter, like maybe a sort of like a a two hundred and like a fifty six thousandth of uh, of its trajectory. Yes, or ten percent of his. Sense of humor, which is <laughs> pretty low. <laughs> yeah, I I just want to bring that up because yeah, you 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 nailed exactly what <laughs> what the GameStop situation is. Anyway, let's go. Let's let's talk about where you've been, which is a much more tangible and uh, fulsome uh, digital experience. Yeah, um, Elden Ring, uh, little known sleeper hit of the year, Elden Ring. <laughs> um, I, uh, I completed Elden Ring a couple, well, maybe a month or so ago, a couple of months ago. I, I went for it quite quickly. Um, and I loved it. I think it's, you know, it's a pretty spectacular game, you know, for reasons that, uh, you know, people have outlined at length. Um, so, I thought we could talk about it without spoiling too much because I know for a lot of people, like a lot of the draw of the game is, is kind of you know the sights that you see and the sort of things you experience. And I sort of wanted to talk about it on a bit more of a mechanical mm. level. So I rushed through the last say third of the game mm-hmm. um, just because I've got kids <laughs> and I, I you know I was pushing up on eighty ninety hours of play and. I wanted to be able to play some other games and it is an exhausting game. So yeah, I, I rushed through the last sort of third of the game, um, summoning through, you know, summoning help in for the bosses. Um, and that was fine. I didn't mind so much, you know, I, I was trying to enjoy the game, you know, on my own terms and just sort of have fun with it. I did feel like I had slightly missed out on some of the experience because, mm. um, even though I, I I enjoyed the fact that I didn't have to slam my head against a bunch of bosses again and again and again, um, I did slightly feel like I hadn't taken in some of the scenery. So once you're through the credits of Elden Ring, hmm. um, uh, it gives you uh, uh, the chance to either start a new game straight away, a new game plus, or 
can go back into your game, uh, clean up any of the stuff you haven't done, and then and then start a new game plus. And I I, I chose to um, I rather stupidly chose to just go straight into it because uh, I just thought, what the hell? And um, just just to interrogate that, you, yes. you were feeling a bit tired of the game. You found it exhausting, uh, so you you rushed the end of it, and and that compelled you. <laughs> Your sense of exhaustion uh, compelled you to start again in New Game Plus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think that's right. I think because <laughs> because it's it's an interestingly to go back over that decision a little bit. It's an interesting game because you can very much set your own pace. Right, you can spend huge amounts of time in the opening area and you can do that for just about everything you know it thins out a little bit more towards the end but i found it a really compelling hangout game Hmm. and i still do to boot it up and tootle around and go on a little adventure for 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever Mm -hmm. it's so full of stuff Mm -hmm. um that i did a lot of that i mean a lot of my playthrough was just me doing that and i think what happened was i kind of got a little bit too distracted by all that and then realized, oh, I, I need to finish this game now because it's taking up too much of my life. So I kind of rushed through the kind of end game bosses. And then I thought, all right, well, I've done that. I'm going to leave it a month or so. And then I'm going to um, boot up that game and start again, which is what I've done in the last week or so. And I realized the reason I've done it is not so much to re-experience that portion of the game again, Um Although I now can, because with all my New Game Plus equipment, I just like absolutely blasted through. Mm. Like I am basically at the same end game point, and it took me five or six hours to get there, as opposed to like the eighty plus hours yeah. that it that it took me on the on my first go round. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, Elden Ring, because I listened to some of the chats that you guys had had before. Um, about the game it was a really good one with you and uh, and uh, Marsh, you know, sort of talking about the philosophy behind the game and kind of what it loses and what it gains by being an open world. And I think a lot of ink and a lot of pod time has been spent rightly saying that the game doesn't quite have the level of focus. I mean, it loses a level of focus that something like Bloodborne or the Dark Souls games have, but it gains yeah. a sort of sense of exploration. What's really interesting is once you've completed the game and once you've gotten through it, the the space of it shrinks massively yeah. um, because that sense of mystery is gone. And that does feel like a loss. It does feel like you'll never have that experience again, although I would say it was an unparalleled experience to have for the first time. And a, and a long experience, as you said. Like, um, you know, yeah. Yeah, like uh, just to just to just to interject with cause I, the same, very similar experience, but but but... I'm, I think, 120 hours, and wow, yeah. I have a pretty big chunk. Well, maybe a semi-big. You know, I've got a chunk <laughs> of game to go still, and yeah. I've been to- really tootling. I've been rooted in, and I'm tootling, and I'm, yeah. uh, and I've been enjoying it very much on that basis. I mean, yeah, it's a masterpiece. I think it's just. You know, the only games I've ever put hundreds of hours into in the last few years are things like, you know, Destiny or Deep Rock Galactic kind of hangout mm. games or multiplayer games where you're basically repeating the same loop again and again and again. And Elden Ring, like, to be showing you new areas and new places and new sites to see, you know, tens, scores of hours in, is just, you know, it's just so unparalleled. And I, you know, again, to slightly double back onto that first run through, like, 
I realised as I was playing through, all my favourite moments, they're all about that moment and the games have a door opening animation basically for this very purpose of when you open a door on something and it's an incredible sight to behold. Um, There's a couple of moments in Elden Ring which are precisely that, which are absolutely staggering. Just there's one particular area, which I won't name, but it begins with a C and then a F, which I think is among the most spectacular I've ever seen in a video game. Mm -hmm. It's the real apotheosis of the promise of video games from a long time ago to kind of show us a fantasy world in such fidelity and, and, and sort of splendor and weirdness that I think it really does comprise something, you know, pretty extraordinary in the in the history of, of games. And so, you know, that is a that is a wonderful thing um in and of itself. And those sites diminish somewhat on on return, but not entirely. You know, it's still an incredibly and you know, just in terms of visual uh design and spectacle, you know, I do think pretty much unparalleled really um raises the bar on those things yeah yeah and no, i i totally agree um i um i was actually trying to find because i've met i've been meaning to, to mention this quite a few times because one of the things i finding absolutely astounding about elden ring is that despite all of the size that you've been talking about and despite all the challenge that a lot of the um you know certainly the first go through presents you with you know in terms of um a boss kind of being difficult, uh, an area being scary and difficult, and um, uh, the 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 rotty place, uh, Caled, being you know that, an early ish game area, which is horrifying when you go there. It's full of everything is nasty and horrible, um, um, and it's scary, and you know, and and everything takes a long time. Um, I, I was just going to uh, I was going to go on to talk about the the way that the, the 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 space of the game contracts once you know what you're doing in a sec but um it takes a long time uh and looking cuz uh i've been playing on ps5 and uh sony is one of the few well you, actually steam does as well doesn't it but sony uh, puts up this percentages of players who've got certain trophies and elden ring is is quite fastidious about giving trophies at kind of important uh key time moments in the game progression and the rates at which uh players who've played the game are getting late game uh trophies is extraordinarily high you know, I'm used to playing a lot of games where, you know, like uh, the trophy that you get uh, five minutes after starting for pressing A, you know, <laughs> pressed A on, on the thing that is the main mechanic of the game. And they got like 73%, you know, yeah. <laughs> like quarter of all players didn't even get that far. Whereas um, Elden Ring, and uh, uh, I will tell you that the the Sony app is the PlayStation app is fucking shit because I cannot find uh, the trophies <laughs> for a game that is more than three games since I've played it uh, on the list. Uh, I don't know why, but anyway, yeah, like they're, they're sort of you know stuff that's that I was playing like sixty hours into my playthrough has got like 50 sixty percent of all players have got there, which I think you know make, makes me wonder like is this stat made up like how can that <laughs> possibly be true but like looking at um you know successive progressive moments like and lo- looking at the trophies you know the drop-off was was you know one percent or like a fraction of a percent between these moments which is 
I don't know, unparalleled, you know, for all that people talk a lot about, um, you know, the, the, the from software games being, you know, too difficult and that kind of thing. And, and for all that Elden Ring was, has been criticized. And, you know, I think broadly rightly for sometimes being rather obtuse about where you should be going next. Uh, and, or, you know, just being a bit obtuse, I suppose. Um, people are really playing it and really succeeding, you know, which is not to say it doesn't have problems, but it, it's, it's not, you know, it's, it seems to it definitely beats my my uh, assumptions about it, um, which I found really interesting. I, and I, but I, I really agree about the way that the game uh, contracts when you know what you're doing. Like it is a big open area, like areas, you know, you have a lot of ground to actually cover. But actually, once you know what you're doing, um, you go in straight lines between places, don't you? And you kind of, because you know exactly where the next thing is and, I suppose in New Game Plus, you don't need to be uh, leveling up because you've got the equipment that will get you through broadly. The, the, yes. There is an in, there is a, um, an increase in difficulty, though, isn't there? Like, th- things have more health and, and more moves and things, don't they? There is, but but so far in my game, uh, that hasn't counted for, for nothing um, uh, because uh, I am so much more powerful in various ways that they can't kind of match um so i think now i'm approaching the sort of end game of it it is going to start i mean in fact i i was just killed by a boss i think perhaps for the first time on my playthrough for new game um so yeah it's a it's an interesting one that i think staying just sort of not before i talk about ng plus um i mean it's those um, achievement numbers aren't surprising to me. I mean, I, I, it made me think. I think the like the achievement for beating Father Gascoigne in Bloodborne um, used to have something <laughs> like twenty percent or something or less than that. You know, <laughs> yeah. the first mandatory boss in the game. You know, which is which is incredible. But the thing is with Elden Ring is, and it's this wonderful thing about it is it compels you to explore in so many ways and in ways that are quite ineffable. And, and mm. you know, it's a game that's just so full of mystery and wonder that you can't help but, you know, f- try and hit the horizon, you know, and try and push at the edges. And that is a real bit of magic they've they've pulled off there to just, yeah. you know, and I can't think of many games that have, have really come close to that, to be honest. I think... I mean, the, I obvious, think, one, the obvious one is uh, Breath of the Wild. And I'd say that, um, you know, in, in terms of a game which rewards you for, you know, exploring it, you know, and, and really kind of taking a look and uh, and feeling assured that the game is, is going to re- reward you with something, you know, there's going to be something of interest. And, um, and my daughter uh, played that one. Uh, and she's played it three times <laughs> from start to finish, I think, or maybe more. She was absolutely loves it. She, you know, this is the age of 12 or something like that. She's, she, she really hadn't really focused on any games particularly before that point. Um, usually, you know, dabbled for a little while and they lost interest. But um, but it turns out that when you when you give people a world which is uh, shifting and interesting and you know and 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 which uh, hides things in logical sight, you know, and 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 is there to pat you on the back when you decide to look around that corner you know that you know those games are good (laughs) yeah and i think it takes a real kind of genius to to play that trick where you're shepherding players towards goals 
um, and and moments of of high drama and intensity without drawing arrows for them, you know, and that is you know, that is the thing that, you know, a player needs really, isn't it? For for that feeling that you get in Breath yeah. of the Wild or Elden Ring, and it's basically just those two games that have pulled it off, is that feeling of I mean, I remember on my first playthrough through Elden Ring, um, there's a you know, really early on in the game, the map remained mostly obscure. There's a way that you can bypass what seems like the first mandatory boss is actually not. You can go go right before you get to him, and that will basically let you into the rest of the game and i just found that passage and rode torrent for you know whole you know many many minutes you know all the way to the north of the uh uh of the map there and found a manor full of redacted you know but a very scary manor full of horrible beasties um and that experience i i, I can't think of uh, another one like it i, I remember playing uh, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas back when that came out when mm. I was a student. And there's a moment in that game where I got on a motorbike and I drove out of the city and Freebird by uh, Leonard Skinner came on the radio <laughs> and I was bombing a motorbike outside, you know, out, of, out into the kind of country, you know, that surrounds um, San Andreas in that game. And I, I think that is the only moment really that compares to that kind of haunted ride mm. across a a ghostly mist misty lake you know to a to a mansion full of terrible monsters it's just uh, you know you it's just a real gift to be able to play through something like that i think um yeah and like on new game plus you have your map revealed you don't have your you can't warp around like you can but you oh, can really? see a, you can yeah it's revealed to you so you can still navigate very easily in fact all your sort of places are are still marked on there um, so yeah, it's it, it it's amazing to to play the game with that there because obviously one of the things Elden Ring does is is it tricks you and fools you with the size of the map, which keeps increasing and 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 you know revealing new enormous um, areas you know as you go. And yeah, um, I think someone pointed out I saw on Reddit it was something that um, from the very first view when you come out out into the first area, uh, you can see many of the key points that you'll be visiting over the next fifty hours. You know, yep. they're all in sight, right there in plain sight. Incredible! I don't know how you design a world like that. Just trickery, magical trickery. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's extraordinary and uh you know the, the game does that several times <laughs> like it'll say right, well, you've done, that's this is the first 50 hours here's the next 50 hours and then after that here's another 30 at least it's yeah. just uh just great i found that um what, what you were saying about uh you know that sort of sense of uh you know kind of i don't know i suppose meaning in a landscape uh that you're you feel i don't know powerful in and in sense of you know everything you were talking about um i've made me think about red dead redemption 2 and how i never felt like that in red dead redemption 2 extraordinarily beautiful um incredibly rich uh and varied and um filled with detail just and just wonderful to be in those places but I'm trying to put my finger on why I never felt that investigating behind, you know, really covering the map and going everywhere, that it was really going to be worth it. And I don't really know why. 
they were there are little there are lots of little details like weird things you come across like a like a I came across a a, a cabin with a broken roof you go inside it and the, the, you can see from the outside that the, the roof is just smashed through and so you go inside and the floor is smashed through and you look in the floor and you realize that um, a meteorite has has, <laughs> has, uh, has has landed on the cabin and you know the remains of the person that lived there um, you know and then there are these kind of uh, hunt special hunts of kind of legendary creatures that are around and um, weird characters to come across and things. For, for some reason, though, and it might be something to do with the way you move in that game that you're kind of curtailed by reality. You know, you can't run faster than a than a than a increasingly sickened old man <laughs> and a horse yeah. can go. Maybe you know. Uh, that sort of pursuit of fidelity kind of maybe gets in the way. I don't know. I, but I never felt the the connection with its world that I feel with uh, Elden Ring. And that's not despite, you know, I spent quite a lot of time playing that game. But I, isn't it strange? I don't know why. I wonder if it's because, um, what's your character in that game called? Al- Albert, is that his name? Arthur. Arthur yeah, so Morgan, I, thank you. I, I wonder if that is because Arthur Morgan, like when I play that game, I believe he's experiencing all this. I believe mm. he's exploring this world. Um, and I believe he is interacting with it in an incredibly tactile and, and real way. Mm. But it's a bit of a... Um, it's a bit of a barrier to me as a, as a player because Arthur is a character who is tragically it turns out the person people depend on he's the person people he's a reliable guy who walks a a pretty steady line um you know and 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 people go to him because they they like the fact that he is able to measure his responses uh and is able to be a kind of you know a a realistic moralist in this kind of crazy you know Mm. outlaw world and the game is built around that character right there must have been a point where it was decided that that was the kind of person we were going to play rather than a crazy ass lunatic or you know um the guy in the first game, John Marston, who's this kind of, you know, he's a, he's a man on a, uh, you know, who's fighting to protect something, you know? And I think I probably did have that feeling of being lost in the wilderness in that, in that first Red Dead Redemption game. But I think in RDR2, uh, Arthur's just, he's too much part of this world. He's too comfortable in it. He's too amiable in it. And the game is built around that vibe. Whereas in Elden Ring, you are your, you know, you are your avatar. You are the character you've designed, but who has no personality and and no, you know, real um, motives beyond the abstract one you're presented with at the beginning of the game. And I think that's a bit of the um, the Dark Souls magic. You know, mm. it's it's you are nobody and everybody all at the same time, and it's that kind of gives you, you know, taking that as a jumping off point for how the game is designed and structured. Uh, especially in this kind of fantastical world, I think that that gives you a connection to your character, which is sort of um, unexpectedly intense. <laughs> yeah. um, whereas Arthur Morgan is doing all his feeling for you; you don't need to do it because he's very well written and acted. And I, yeah, I must admit, yeah, I did, I did do a certain, I did find myself naturally wanting to role play a little bit, you know. Oh, I wouldn't. It doesn't feel right to be a wanker in this world because I kind of want to be a nice Arthur Morgan, even if the game 
I suspect the game would allow me to be a nasty Arthur and, and support that, but I didn't want him to be, I liked him too much. I didn't want him to be a wanker. And, um, but yeah, no, that's really interesting. I think that's true. I think there's also elements of, um, mastery, uh, of the, uh, in, um, in Elden Ring, you know, you do feel you go into an area and I think this is true of Dark Soul, you know, all of the, the From Software games, you, you're, you go into a new area and you're frightened, <laughs> Um, but by the time you've cleared that area and you've explored a lot of it, um, you are literally more powerful because you've leveled up a few times and you may have a better weapon, um, but also you understand it better and you can, you go back through the area. Oh, you know, you also have knowledge of the, of the, of, of the, um, of the environment, you know, where the threats are and you exercise that mastery, um, and you feel like this is your place now you know it was you've you've conquered it um you've made something that was wild uh and you felt lost in and you've you've bent it to your will um you know it's not it's not a pretty not a very pleasant (laughs) (laughs) in the you know metaphysical way or philosophical way but um it's it's a it's a cool feeling Yes, I agree. And and I know several people, and I have, I've also done this myself, that like when things have gone a little bit skier with in, in life and things have gone a bit wrong, booting up Dark Souls and just having a little run around yes. <laughs> um, is something that quite a few people do. And I do myself because this play starts off on your first playthrough through Dark Souls. It starts off as this horrific nightmare. But by the time you've beaten it a couple of times, it's kind of home. It's like home. It's like a home full of old friends who are slowly going mad from the curse that has befallen the land. But they are friends nonetheless. Just like real old friends. Yeah. <laughs> and the landscape itself is a is a friend because it's it's so, you know, it, it, it's it's completely predictable because it never changes and it's yeah. stacked on top of each other in sort of reassuring rows. Um, Elden Ring doesn't have any of that. And I think that is, that is you know, that is why Elden Ring, you know, thematically, story-wise, character-wise, plot-wise, it doesn't really, I don't think it competes with any of the other games, really, uh, particularly Bloodborne, which, I, you know, is a game that lives inside me in a kind of whole other way. That's a kind of nightmare. <laughs> mm-hmm. An amazing, incredible, flawless nightmare, really. But, yeah, Elden Ring, what it lacks in that it, it gives you back in spades, you know, something else entirely. And, and I think the fact that it's sold an absolute truckload is is testament to that as well. And the fact that people are actually playing it and playing yeah. it through and completing it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I got to the last boss of Sekiro and just put the controller down. Yeah. And I'm done, I was done with it. Thank God. Thank God that's I, no regrets whatsoever. I just, I'm not fighting this guy. This is ridiculous. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah so um i was going to talk about uh new game plus a little bit so one of the things that the game is is a glorious sandbox um version of dark souls and i think miyazaki has just sort of thrown his hands up at some point and gone kind of fine let's give everyone everything all at once as it were and that really becomes true in in new game plus because you're so powerful um you know my first my first action as the game started was to rush all the way to the respec uh 
a mechanic which you have to unlock through through a boss. So sprinting all the way there and 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 dispatching that boss and then respecking my character. And I literally just looked online for like cool magic yeah. build because <laughs> I never I've never done a magic build. And there is a particular build you can do which is famous basically for for being a, a, a game breaking way. And this is why. Oh god, which one? I think I might have it. <laughs> it's the it's the Comet Azor. Um, oh okay, build, right. okay. Which is uh, a spell which does a big laser beam basically out of your out of your staff um which basically drinks your entire fp bar um in a manner of seconds um ludicrously overpowered if you you know spec your character to have like 60 intelligence or whatever so i did that i was melting everything with that especially after i leveled up my staff and then what you do is you get one of the tiers which is one of the um things that goes in your flask of wondrous physic and what that does is when you glug it it basically means that you any spells you cast don't consume any fp for i think it's 15 seconds yeah, or 20 yeah, seconds yeah. so <laughs> i rock up in battle i drink my flask um and i fire up my old laser um <laughs> and i just <laughs> It just it has melted almost every single boss who's come up against it in a matter of seconds. It's ridiculous, but it, it does not get old. It is so much fun to do, and it's so much fun to have this kind of power fantasy because I am now a dude in this game, or actually a woman who walks into you know little towns and settlements and and, and dungeons of this game, waving my staff hither and thither and just ending everyone in sight with with a thought with just but a thought you know it's like playing as Voldemort or something um and it is you know and occasionally I'll unleash my hounds on them all this sort of stuff and it's it's just wonderful because the game you know the game's not balanced against this really it's very easy to do I didn't do anything special on my first run through and you don't even have to invest in it as well like you know there's a little bit of a quest you need to do to get the spell um uh and that's it. <laughs> that yeah, you, it's it. just a question of going to the right places and, and doing the right things. Yeah. And and then the game just says, here you are, here's your playground. Have fun, you know. If you want to make it harder, stop doing this stupid thing you're doing, yeah. you yeah, know. Yeah. But if you don't, you don't have to. And yeah. that is a wonderful thing, I think. And and just, as I say, immense immense fun. And, like, you know, I, there's, a, there's a particular tier you can get, which is sort of an easy mode for the game. Um, uh, which people who've played it will know what I mean. I don't want to spoil that one because it's cool. But like sometimes I use that and that will basically make any boss completely trivial. And if I don't use it, it will make them slightly harder than completely trivial. And, and you know, it's nice to have that little button to push. And I, I appreciate a game that's like, you know, letting you, uh, uh, you know, find your own challenge level. Exactly. And it kind of, it kind of, it, it's slightly, you know, I think that it's a game that slightly spoils you know, the things that were great thematically about Dark Souls, but solves all of the the problems that anyone's ever had with them, basically, in terms of their difficulty and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know, I do, I'm, I'm of uh, a type that feels a bit guilty most of the time, and I do feel a bit guilty because uh, I use Rivers of Blood, which is a katana with, um, is it called corpse piler <laughs> it basically has this vast area around you it just swooshes with these red blades um uh it does quite a lot of damage just of itself but it also does bleed damage which is a type of damage which fills up a invisible kind of bar in in every enemy and when it hits the top it it just 
uh, they lose a, a, a percentage, a proportion of their remaining health. And, um, and in the PVP community, it is seen as being an, as a real scrub weapon. <laughs> real, just to, it's not, not a good, good site to, uh, to be seen using it, but I, I just like using it. And before that I used a katana, which, um, called moonlight something or other, which, um, does a cool magic attack, which is sort of makes most enemies trivial because I can keep them at range and do massive damage on them. And they're both kind of slightly wind buttony feeling, but, but fuck it. It's yeah. nice to, they, they feel nice to, to, to use. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's fun to kind of, I mean, I, I maybe it's just me, but I enjoy kind of, you know, role-playing ridiculously as my as my character so you know my character is a powerful mage with a comet laser but if you get too close to her she pulls out her um icy wolverine claws (laughs) 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 just like oh you want to fight dirty do you it's it's surprising it's a surprising reveal it's good yeah it is it's good good, yeah so i i I have been enjoying that as well just like (laughs) oh yeah closing the distance i'm gonna stab you with these uh ridiculous claws <laughs> um yeah no so yeah that's that's elden ring i guess um i uh i i'm surprised that i'm still playing it and i've realized just today actually that there's a whole like area that i hadn't i didn't see in my first playthrough <laughs> oh. what have you been playing alex well uh i've been mostly playing elden ring for a long time as i said yeah well over 100 hours in the kind of scant time that i have to play these days but uh, i got myself one of them xboxes uh the other day and um i hadn't really appreciated did you go for an did you go for an x or an s i got the monolith i got the monolith the black monolith uh it's 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 next to my ps5 it's definitely made me think about the PS5. I really didn't like the PS5 design, the sort of swooshy kind of white and black thing. Um, and I thought, oh, you know, I, uh, next to the Xbox, it's sort of, yeah, very unnecessary seeming. Now they're next to each other. I like the Xbox One X's. No, Xbox Series X. I'm still confused about the names. Xbox Series X. Um, I like uh, that it just is unnoticeable, even despite its size in the space that I have it, which is on a shelf under the TV. It's very inconspicuous once I've found the space that it could go into, fit into. <laughs> but next to the, you know, I do appreciate the imag- that the, the, uh, the PlayStation 5 has some imagination to it <laughs> and sort of like mad finesse. Um, yes. You said, well, this is a ridiculous thing I know. So someone, someone came up with this and I, I like <laughs> the insight into their mind as opposed to the, to the Xbox, which is, an engineer made this and they're good at their job, <laughs> which is, yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I briefly had a, a Series S uh, before I sold it to buy a Steam Deck. Um, and I, uh, m- my partner was delighted by how discreet looking that thing was. You know, it's a lovely little thing. Um, and a, a bit less happy when I, I swapped it for the ridiculous uh, thing that I carry around <laughs> once it from the telly playing uh, games on. Anyway, I digress. Um I uh, I hadn't I, I missed out the last generation of Xbox. So the last games I played on it um, were Xbox 360 games, and and I hadn't I'd even switched on my 360 since, um, and that would have been I don't know coming up to ten years ago, I suppose. It's you know time flies in 2000. You know probably when 
PS, I got my PS4 when that came out. So anyway, I hadn't really thought about the whole Xbox ecosystem for a long time to um, put it on and logged in and to discover, of course, all my old Xbox 360 games are sitting, you know, the, or at least the digital versions are all sitting in my account still. And, um, and the first game I played uh, was Geometry Wars 2. <laughs> as everything else is downloading you know all the kind of the big the big ones uh George Wars 2 because I haven't played that for a long time and holy shit that is a good game still that is a <laughs> that is a game that is a game Jamie so good just every game. element of that game is just so beautifully made the feel of it so the menus you go through the menus and it has this little ping sound bow ping bang bang as you go through the, <laughs> the, the the menus and they're so incredibly snappy and the the you know you from from booting up the game and going through like weird anachronistic stuff that i hadn't really thought about like an activision logo activision <laughs> had stuff to do with geometry wars and of course they did. They owned the studio, Bizarre Creations, at that by that point. And I've forgotten about that. And all these things lost in lost in time. Um, <laughs> are, um, yeah, and you just sort of just snappy into the thing and you know, into each level. And obviously, there's no loading because it's just it's just lines, it's just geometry. There's nothing to load. Um, and uh, I'd forgotten about all the the different game modes in it. And um, and and incredibly, I beat my high score. And of course, all my high scores and those of my friends, uh, um, my Xbox friends list are all just sitting there, you know. And guess who has by far the highest uh, pacifism score on my list? <laughs> Fucking Marty. Fucking uh... Marsh Davies. 42 million. Oh 42 million. That's so high. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. There he was sitting pleased as punch on the top of the table, like way ahead <laughs> of all of my other friends. Um, and what was amazing was that um, I played I played that mode uh, maybe three or four goes into it. I beat my old high score. I got 21 million. I thought, I'm older. My 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 reaction times are f- terrible now. And you're like, the, uh, you're like the old Kung Fu master. Yeah. The wizened old Kung Fu master who is now all these years of experience can beat beat any opponent with but a thumb. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder also whether it's also like at the time, I think my daughter was quite young and I was probably just permanently wizened and tired, but you know, prematurely <laughs> as opposed to simply through time now. Um, yeah, but the geometry was is just like so beautifully polished um and so intense and so uh respectful of your time you know the session is quite short in that game you know a lot of um those wave-based games or kind of you know they can take a long time to play especially these days um and they're kind of filled with these progression type mechanics and things like that and this game trusts in its feel and just the compulsion of the high score table and um yeah, I'm feeling it again. And um, yeah, the, the different games. Like, um, do you remember the King mode? I don't remember the King mode, no. So this is one where you get these um, circles uh, on the screen, areas, uh, you know, sort of circular areas. Um, you can only fire when you're inside them and enemies can't get inside that ring. So you have to sit inside the ring kind of just firing out. But once you go into the ring, the ring starts to uh, reduce in size until it disappears. And then... 
uh, I think that the, the Geometry Wars 2 is the game that uh, introduced putting uh, score bonus kind of shards that would pop out of, um, of enemies. So you're moving not only to uh, avoid enemies and get good lines on, you know, shooting lines on enemies, but you're also moving to collect shards because which would disappear very quickly after an enemy de- um, is, is defeated. And so um, the king loop is to go inside a circle, fire and fire and fire and fire, and then scoop up as many <laughs> shards as you can before they disappear, before you jump into the next, um, into the next ring. And it's, it's really, you know, like the way that game just plays with the formula in the way that um, it's pacifism, take on pacifism. Obviously, just to, re- you know, just to, to, as a history lesson, the pacifism mode in Geometry Wars 2 is a reference to uh, an achievement in Geometry Wars, uh, which uh, was awarded, was called pacifism and was rewarded if you spent, I don't know, it does. It sounds like a short amount of time, but it was actually quite hard to get. I'd like two minutes or maybe five minutes, but I think it might be shorter than that. Not firing. So every enemy that spawns in the game is after you, and you've got to survive for as long as you possibly can, and you know hit that limit. Um, and that was a very very compulsive um, um, achievement to do. It was like it was the archetypal creative achievement back in the day, like when people were exploring what you could do with achievements to encourage people to play games in in new ways that was the one that was the benchmark like that's the 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 thing to go for you know forget all the ones that sort of reward you for pressing a you know at the start of the game yep. it was, uh, <laughs> that was the one um so yeah pacifism in geometry wars 2 builds on it and says you can't fire but you can destroy enemies by by passing through a type of enemy which is a like a dumbbell shaped thing and when you go uh in the bit in between the two ends um it's like a gate do you like pass through the gate? If you hit the, the ends, you'll die. But if you pass through the gate, and, they, it, like, and everything in an area around it is destroyed. So in that game, in, in, uh, you are getting the enemies to follow you towards these, these gates and going through them in the nick of time to, to defeat them in, and, 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 and basically just cull them enough that the screen isn't filled. Uh, but yeah, that game is really good. Uh, Yes, I, I fired it up today, and I'd only played it a little bit um, back in the day. Um, uh, and it's, you know, I, I played Geometry, I had to go Geometry Wars 3, which I had on my Steam, at War, oh, uh, my Steam yeah. account, which is the one where they a lot of people think they went a bit too far with that one. It's kind of, it's really maximalist, and lots of the modes are kind yeah. of... Um, uh, King is in there, and I was just playing that earlier. You can have different builds in it, which I think was a controversial decision at the time. So That's earlier nice. today, I got um, Geometry Wars 1, just Geometry Wars Plane, which is three quid on, on Steam, which is really bare bones. It doesn't have any leaderboards, um, but looks absolutely beautiful on, yeah. on the Steam Deck. It's a perfect Steam Deck game. And I just lost you know, 45 minutes into that <laughs> easily. And it's it's so good because it's one of those games a bit like... Um, Tetris or Threes or um, Lumines, however you, however you pronounce that name, that game, where Lumines. Lumines, is that you said? Lumines, I don't know. Where you, it teaches you how to play it through your fa- your failures in a really satisfying way. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, that I had a moment of playing it today where I was like, oh, I, these green ones, I can chase them down. Like, I shouldn't fly away from them, I should fly towards them because 
they fly away from me. And just like that is such a simple little rule that you learn and you start to build up more and more of those and internalize more of those rules about, you know, what things are going to do in relation to you as you go. And it's just a glorious sense of slowly building uh, mastery over it. That's that, yeah, just like really, really rare thing, but wonderful when, when you see it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And then, you know, yeah, you learn individual enemies, but then you start uh, learning combinations of enemies, you know, like you get the ones that follow you very fast and they're the ones that sort of, yeah, run away from you and the ones that are just randomly kind of moving around. And yeah, I can't deal with the uh, snaky ones at the moment. Because no, yeah, their bodies block, block the bullets. So you just, yeah. yeah, you're constantly missing their heads. Yeah. And they just crowd you in and then with everything else. And yeah, in Geometry Wars 2, I think it's called sequence uh, is, yeah, this sort of presets um, series of quick fire scenarios, I suppose you call them, with very specific sort of loadouts of enemies that come in a very specific way as you defeat them. And um, uh, that really does play with kind of how the combinations of enemies that you're facing really, um, you know, present different kinds of threats. And that's really, really fun. But yeah, I forgot about Geometry Wars 3 because, yeah, that that is extraordinarily maximalist. It's very, you know, like, it, you know, it struggles with the idea of, like, how do you really do a sequel on perfection? Which I always felt that kind of the Advance Wars kind of series struggled with, you know, because Advance Wars, you know, you can't really go anywhere next. Adding <laughs> an extra screen, you know, like with a, with the, you know, I think that one, was it the one on DS kind of, put uh like a uh you could fight in the air as well like it had another layer of fighting you know like adding shit to these games just yeah no 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 but i do appreciate the challenge it's it's funny because they have a you know a, a classic mode on geometry wars 3 which is you know more or less identical to the to the you know, Geometry Wars 1, except it's just, it's a little bit shinier and a little bit prettier and it takes place on a kind of simulated plane rather than the kind of more or less flat space that you play on the... Oh, that's right. The, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, sort of swishy. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for my money, it's, you know, playing the, the Geometry Wars plane was just immediately the superior experience because yeah. it's so unvarnished that it just immediately comes to life in your hand. Whereas the other one, you feel like there's a sort of veil between you and yes. uh, and it yeah like yeah you're, you're yeah it's real in that one but it's in on the other one you're you're seeing something on the screen yeah exactly yeah the um uh and I, oh, of course uh, just to close this off but um the black holes and just how fucking awesome they are and all the kind of mechanics around them so the, the black holes in in this game there are a sort of big circle and when you shoot it you trigger it and it it's a black hole which sucks everything in towards it including you and it's also signified by the fact that uh, the background which is a grid uh of sort of thin lines um actually warps around it um you know showing the kind of space-time continuum being you know <laughs> black hole or whatever and um and as things are sucked into it uh uh, it starts to expand and it starts to spin faster and things start falling into it faster and as more things are, and eventually and you hear this woo sound uh, as it's kind of ramping up and ramping up and then it suddenly explodes and I don't know 
50, I don't even know how many, it feels like hundreds of very, very <laughs> fast moving, very small blue circles come flying out of it at you. Um, uh, and that's terrifying. But if you shoot at the uh, black hole, um, it will reduce in size. And uh, as things fly into it, the amount of score you get for, uh, for, for, for blowing it up increases. And so there's a whole mechanic of farming them, like keeping them, tending them, almost letting stuff go into them and firing them enough that they stay they you know you don't destroy them but they stay small enough that, that they're not going to be a danger to you as you're kind of you know looking after yourself in other areas and it's just such a good game and then you know it's a game that's also it's very very kind of um closely controlled game in many ways but enemies spawn at random and but also if you get two active uh, black holes to each other they'll start pulling on each other and they'll start orbiting each other in, in you know in and, and you'll see the the grid background grid get warped out of all recognition um and that's where the game sort of suddenly you know, the chaos of the game sort of you know exists such a good game. Oh, lovely. Lovely War- uh, Geometry Wars. That was on a 360, and I'm playing it on a <laughs> Xbox Series X, which is... <laughs> I, I do love the... Um, one more thing on Geometry Wars is I do love how much tension they gleam from having a limited number of your smart bombs that can clear the screen, where you've got your finger on yeah. that button, and it can get you out of any situation, but they're limited use, so you don't want to... And they get no score want... for them as well. I don't think yeah. you get um, any of uh, the, the bonus chips either so, so it's yeah. this brutal like thing where you, well i don't want to die but i still want to i still want to play but it's gonna it's gonna decimate my multiplier and it's just it's such a clever little thing because you always end up not pressing it <laughs> and dying mm. you know because you think i can do it i can do it and it's almost like you play backgammon against your own <laughs> your own skill level you know you've got this kind of uh i got this gap. i got this idea yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry do, do go on. I just wanted to mention the uh, smart. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, no, it's a it's a very well read game. Uh, you know, it's sort of it knows how those bombs work in the in the classic shooters. And yeah, the other the other game I played um, was another, but it was the it's the, the remake. But um, it's a classic three sixty era game. Is um, Halo Three, which I hadn't played since back in the day because this is on the the new collection, which um, has been released over time uh, and. Uh, you know, not over time. It was released fairly recently, um, and is a really well-made, swishy sort of um, uh, uh, sort of high def um, recreation, but respectful recreation of, um, of the series. But I hadn't played Halo Three since back in the day. I have a, a, a I have a personal relationship with that game because um, it was one of the very early trips that i did when i joined edge back in um 2007 i think it was the maybe the first international trip i did i went to, went to see uh you know the first playable you know opportunity out there with this sort of set of european journalists and americans i think and you know at the bungee's offices um in near seattle and it was just a cool time, you know, sort of like a heady, exciting period, you know, of getting used to this new job and then going to see this, like, this was the game at the time, like Halo 3. This is just, you know, the first game on the you know, Halo game on 360. This was the 360s, which was, you know, the leader, leading console, obviously. This was its big game, you know, its launch would be huge. Um, there's so much that Halo 3 did that I was... You know, I still am really, you know, uh, you know, uh, 
admire greatly. Um, and, you know, I got to see it back then and that was really cool. So playing it again these days and brought back some of those memories, which is, which is lovely actually. And it's a, it's a really good single player game, Jamie. It really is. Like it's, <laughs> The design, like it's a game, it's one of those uh, first-person shooters which loves to take you through an area and then feed you through the area, sometimes in, with a slightly different route. So you just, you know, you're going through it, but a different, slightly different route, but you're seeing things the same thing away. Or you go through the same way, but it changes it. So maybe there's been a big explosion. Maybe a great big horrible ship has landed filled with great horrible zombies and fungus has landed so maybe you walk back through it um it likes to put you along roads like it it really does a great job of situating somewhere you somewhere and getting you to um or so, like there's a level in a base where you're constantly going back to the control area and you get to know the layout of, you know somewhat um and it sort of starts to take on meaning as a result. Um, or it likes to put you on a, like a, you know, you're going from here to there, but you're following a road. And I think it's some, that's something that Half-Life 2 did, obviously, in um, uh, the highway level. Um, what's it called? Uh, anyway, you know, there's a, the coastal highway, Lost, it's Lost high, Highway. It's highway 17, maybe? Uh, something like that. I, yeah. yeah. But anyway, you know, it, it knew, it, you know, those games knew that if you're following a road, you always know where you're going. And, and, and it means that when you go off the road, you can create nice feelings with that. Like sometimes you feel a bit worried because you're off the road, or sometimes you feel excited because you're off the road. And sometimes you've got, you know, just off the road, there's a building that you can get to explore. And, you know, and that's this game. And the way that it mixes these arena fights with, you know, with you or on foot or you, and then it opens up a larger area and now you've, you've got, opens up um, vehicles for you to choose to, to fight in and just how expansive the battles are, you know, uh, you know, the, the number of different enemies and, and how you can approach um, fighting them. Uh, it's beautifully paced game. Um, and it's kind of areas are just a joy to go through. And, I also have been really enjoying the brevity of its storytelling. Um, I I always saw Bungie at that period being a little bit overconfident of its abilities to tell dramatic stories. Like uh, by that point, um, you know, obviously Halo was known as you know the big space opera video game with that had the the, the monk music which made you feel stuff, um, and with the gruff the gruff man, you know. John, John, John Halo, and <laughs> and and how he had that voice, and 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 how big uh, the universe, or like the, the 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 scale of the battle that you were fighting was, you know, this vast invasion by these the multi factions, um, and um, and but but what it didn't really do very well was any kind of nuance or kind of emotion, but by Halo Three, it. it the studio kind of was trying to do that kind of thing. And I remember being a little bit kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Leave this to people who can actually do proper dramatization, but actually playing them now, the, the cutscenes are refreshingly short and snappy and quite funny as well, you know, for all their, um, you know, you know, you've got, you know, so they, there's a lot of, uh, stereotypical, what's the word sort of pastiche kind of stereotypical kind of 
you know, sort of space. Hoo-ha, grunt talk. Grunt talk and, you know, and just sort of space, you know, science fiction battle kind of, you know, signifiers, like I suppose you'd call it. They're all there and they all do their lines and things. But actually, you know, it always makes sure you know where what the enemy is, what direction they are, what your objective is. You know, sometimes you're kind of going out and just taking out some um, anti-aircraft stuff because your because your capital ship needs to somewhere to land after a, yet another grand calamity, and you've got to clear this area for it to quite large area for it to, to land in. You know what you're doing, and the 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 task ahead is is therefore has a meaning to it which these days you know with with this drive to to more nuanced kind of um storytelling with more with more themes going on and characters that that are taking the the breadth you know the 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 bulk of the 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 story that that you're that, that you're playing along with where you're meant to be thinking about your character's motivations and stuff like it is refreshing to play Halo 3 where you're just got a clear message, like you've got a clear <laughs> mission to take down the anti-aircraft guns. And so you do that. And when you do it, it plays the music and the big ship lands and you feel a swell of kind of, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unlike in uh, you know what Bungie do these days, where you're sort of wondering who who this <laughs> what the space horse is, who this space horse is, and yeah. why am I playing in his game show? <laughs> and I'd forgotten, and yeah, like sh- so many shades of that stuff were in here. Like I'd forgotten that the floods kind of like big daddy was called the grave mind. You know, and you, there's a, <laughs> such a you know I, I'd, I've not. I must admit, like Chris will have thought about this a lot, but I have not, and. I, you know, obviously, now I think about it, there's a clear line between you know the the, the flood and um, and uh, the faction. Then <laughs> I've completely forgotten the name of. I played so much fucking um, <laughs> of that game. I don't even remember what it's called. What are we talking about? What's the game that I'm referring to? The, the Halo, the, the body, the Bungie makes now. Density. Sorry. Thank Destiny. you. Density. Yes. <laughs> Density two. And what is the faction that the the, the flood are like? Uh, I'm very old. I'm so sorry. The f- flood. No, no, that's what we just said. I don't know. The, hi- the hive, the fall. The hive, thank you. Yes, hive, it's the hive. Yeah. You know, obviously there's a clear line between the two, obviously, but I didn't realise that sort of, you know, a lot of the kind of that that sort of thing. But but back then, I don't know, it's all very silly and I appreciate it. Well, it reaches, it reaches further back into Marathon as well when they just have like, right. they would do like sci-fi vomit lore Overall, that there is almost like you know they they'd taken methamphetamines and <laughs> locked themselves in a cabin and tried to write an entire galaxy's worth of stuff, and then and then they presented that to the design team and said, "Here you are, here's, here's our game. <laughs> people it people it with these weirdos." Um, <laughs> it's funny with the um, talking about the Xbox 360 because that was the console that was uh, for the time several orders of magnitude more powerful than anything else out there i think yeah. um which was to their terrible shame when everyone was red ringing it's in hd as well hd yeah. jamie I, I i put a bunch of my student loan to to buy one because i saw an advert for gears of war 
and there was a chainsaw on the gun and I had to have it. <laughs> so I just basically didn't eat food. Oh, no, I ate plenty of food. That's a lie. I didn't, uh, I kept eating food. Uh, I just didn't do anything else. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, playing Gears of War, which was great, but the, the, the game on the Xbox 360 that took over my student halls was, um, or my student digs, was uh, Rockstar Table Tennis. No way, like really? One, one of the greatest sports games of all time. It's just absolutely amazing. And we would just sit around our disgusting flat, uh, smoking Lambert and Butler, drinking Grolsch, and just playing that <laughs> until five in the morning while I <laughs> while I just sort of tended to the to my uh, mental health as if I was sort of trying to tear it to pieces. But thank God it was good because uh, that game, if you've ever played it, it has a wonderful kind of um, control scheme where you're kind of, uh, it's really hard to describe what it is, but you're kind of uh, um, controlling your shots across the table um, just before they hit with the kind of right amount of kind of aftertouch and sort of, oh, it just felt glorious. And yeah, we just kind of went completely insane playing that until ungodly hours. So I have very fond memories of that one. <laughs> God, after the news last week that sort of Rockstar is sort of, is 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 focusing so heavily on, on its big hitter, Grand Theft Auto, uh, that it's not even going to bother kind of doing stuff with Red Redemption 2 and things. The th- very thought that that company also made, you know, a table tennis game for some fucking reason. Really and it was one. really, really good. I remember the reviews were really good and I just couldn't, you know. They what? should, they should like spin off a couple of teams of weirdos to make some more stuff like that. I know nothing's ever that simple, yeah. but like, you know, I, I can imagine got- there isn't a great business case for this, Jamie. <laughs> Well, they've got enough money. They can just waste it. (laughs) (laughs) Although I'm sure their poor poor employees and especially their uh, QA people in in Lincoln have uh, got plenty to be getting on with. (laughs) Like not unionising. The... um, uh... It did. That, that was an era the, of game, though. That sort of the, that three sixty era. That was a that was a special time. For, yeah, that was. I uh, and yeah, and what was also extraordinary with this new box is that I put in my uh, Red Dead Redemption One disc and it installed it to the hard drive, and I can play it. And Bayonetta works on it as well, and they're just installed on my hard drive on my new Xbox, and that sense of continuity. And not having to have several different machines plugged in, and the knowledge that these older games are just so playable today—that's a—I I was very pleased about that. I hadn't I'd seen that as a as a. I mean, I'm sure that most Xbox owners are fully aware of, of all this stuff, and it, it, I hadn't really been paying attention, and uh, it was a lovely surprise. <clears throat> it's a peculiar feeling when you realise you're. Uh, like I had this when I booted up um, my save game of Skyrim, which I had stopped playing 10 years ago, yeah. you know, and my character was just standing outside the city gates of one of the one of the big towns I'd got to, having, you know, played that game for six or seven hours, got to a big town and thought, I can't do this. Oh, you got big, and big then, town syndrome. Mm. Big town syndrome, so he was just standing outside the gate forlornly for 10 years before I returned to it. <laughs> I just can't face it. I can't face it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that's what i think i covered 
what I was going to. Was there anything else you want to talk about, Jamie? Well, I, 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 I could talk about DMC briefly if, if you wanted. Or DMC, really? Okay, DMC. Yeah. Yeah, well, you mentioned uh, Bayonetta. Um, I've been trying to get into Platinum games because I always really like the idea of them, and then I play them and I can't yeah. get my head around them. Like, I, 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 you have to believe me, listeners, that I really want to enjoy them. And I like when people get enthusiastic about them and how ridiculous they are. And you know, Matthew Castle uh, on the back page part is always going on about how you get to fight God in heaven at the end of them. You know, and it's always that kind of ludicrous sense of escalation. But I always find the the presentation and the the kind of garishness of them a little bit off-putting mm. and I, I i dislike that about myself because i as i say i really want to enjoy them um but i always end up just kind of giving up um after after a couple of hours but i have been playing uh dmc uh for a couple of hours now and i i think i'll probably see it through to the end this is a game that had, uh, and I know it's not a platinum game, by the way. This is a game that had completely passed me by for the sort of above uh, aforementioned reasons. But playing it now, or playing it on Steam Deck, what a fantastic piece of work it is! It's so, first of all, even though it seems like a game from you know the previous generation, which it absolutely is, it looks beautiful. The art direction is kind of spectacular really and the fighting is just so crunchy and mm. fun and and you you just you know the way that they've styled it to the way that your last blow he does all the sort of slow motion stuff and the gore flies everywhere and and you know it's it's ludicrous and, and over the top to an almost insane degree um but really playable and really fun and playing it on easy but that still feels like just enough of a challenge you know, the lore and the characters are all completely ridiculous and yeah. over the top, but very agreeable and very amiable. Um, and yeah, I'm just, you just sort of, not much else to say, really. I'm really enjoying my time in it. And I I feel like it's giving me, you know, what other people get from the sort of platinum game type games. You know, it's giving me a more sort of Jamie-friendly version of all that. Yeah, so yeah, I'm just fair. having a fantastic time with DMC, which is, yeah, like I say, it's a... It's a good game for the Steam Deck. And, and for, for whatever reason, I've been put off playing Senua's um, Sacrifice. But I think I'll, I'll definitely play that now after after seeing how much, uh, you know, how much fun the fighting is, apart from anything else in, in this game, and how, you know, how clearly those guys have got a grasp on, you know, how to control one of these games, basically. Because even though it's quite... Um, you know, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of moves you can do. It's really well laid out and, and well organized. You know, you've got one weapon that you activate on one shoulder trigger and another on another. And it yeah. just it just feels right. And they've clearly put a lot of thought into, you know, how that's done. And that's not, you know, true of some of the Platinum games I've played. Whereas in DMC, you're never more than a couple of clicks away from being able to practice things or yeah. swap moves in and out and stuff like that. They've just made it... Um, really accessible and, and easy yeah yeah it was a really good game dmc i think yeah there was a huge amount of skepticism at the time wasn't there that this upstart but actually a studio which had made a lot of fighting games by that point um but i think that sort of a lot of people felt that i think heavenly sword was like the big budget one and it was big release on ps3 but it wasn't it wasn't awfully good it was kind of flashy rather than kind of you know action game consummate that which kind of the, the the platinum game feel to it but um yeah dmc just smashed it it was very 
very fun and very knowing and very yeah the right tone but it's it was very much his own game as well they didn't purely try to do devil may cry which i thought that was a very smart choice as well yeah and kind of interesting that um Alex Garland is is credited as a sort of story consultant or story, yeah. you know, something or other on that. And even though it's, I, mean, I just watched this movie Men this last week, which is an interesting failure, I'd say. But it's funny that um, it's just the right amount of sort of seasoning on on the ridiculousness because you know, Devil like Cry has always had its tongue in its cheek, um, and I think that's sometimes a little bit off putting. But DMC, I think. It actually anticipates 2016 Doom a little bit in how it kind of balances its irony and its gore and all and new metal yeah, um, yeah, altogether. It's I think it's um, it wouldn't surprise me if there's a bit of an influence on that one yeah, because yeah. it has a similar sense of bad taste, like good bad taste. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't remember what the game they did they did before that game that was Enslaved, which was um, I liked, oh, yeah. but there were those who didn't. Well, that's like a that's like a kind of spec ops the line type game, isn't it? It's like a real curio, real yeah. out on its own type thing. I have to investigate that one. Yeah, I I, I had I had I had good fun with that one. And of course, um, Andy Serkis was uh, yeah, he was big in that as well. Was he being a monkey in it? He's being a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> he did all the monkey moves. <laughs> <laughs> Brought all his monkey expertise. <laughs> There must be a great moment in the planning meeting for one of these games. Like, well, we're making our monkey game. Who who can we get? We need a guy. This guy my body can't take any more monkey. It's like getting a permanent hunch. The loping is killing me. And knuckling. Well, Thank you, Jamie. That was a that was a, a chat that I enjoyed. Thank you very much for this evening's sweaty chats. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, and that is all that we have uh, time for uh, this week. Um, you can hang out with us in our community on our Discord channel. Uh, you can find the link at our website, which is creightoncrowbar.com. Uh, we can find us on Twitter at Creighton Crowbar. Uh, you can listen to the show on YouTube, where you'll also find our various spin-off projects. Uh, you can visit there on youtube.com slash Creighton Crowbar. Uh, the Creighton Crowbar is kindly funded by our Patreon backers. If you'd like to know more about supporting our podcast and its split-offs, spin-offs, please visit patreon.com slash Creighton Crowbar. Uh, and it remains for me to say, I have been Alex Wiltshire. I've been Jamie Britton. And we wish you very much. Thank you for listening. Listening. Everybody. Just time for a couple of rounds of geometry wars before that. <laughs> yeah. Sweaty, sweaty rounds of geometry. See you on the leaderboard. <laughs> <laughs>